Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us, uh, you've called us to yourself. You're, you created this world with a purpose, to glorify yourself. And Lord, uh, you also, after we, in our rebellion, Lord, you sent your son into this world with a purpose, to restore us to you so we would know your glory, we'd delight in you, we'd know you forever and have life in you. And Lord, you have called us as your people to one purpose, to glorify you and to live as worshipers and as family and as missionaries. And so, Lord, all these things that you called us to as the body of Christ, Lord, would you, you help impress upon us where we can lean in, where we can grow deeper, round out that growth so we'd be more holistic in our growth, so we'd know you in deeper and more profound ways, and not only know you, Lord, but out of that overflow and making you known to the, the city around us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak boldly through Brandon, and Spirit, you go before him and, and cultivate our hearts to receive your word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. And Lord, we, we thank you for this moment. Lord, would you speak? We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying and for being the fun stopper and the test giver. Like now I get to start with Disney um, and get uh, hopefully back to a little fun. Um, no, but uh, so um, last year during the pandemic, um, I, my family uh, during quarantine, uh, we, uh, we got this thing called Disney Plus, all right? And uh, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And, uh, and so we watched through basically every movie uh, in uh, that Disney vault there, and uh, plus 5,000 times through Frozen. Um, so um, anyway, one of the things I loved sharing, though, were some of those old-school Disney movies, um, and one of those being Robin Hood, which was one of my favorites growing up. And uh, I mean, that guy... Um, when I, I'm a little competitive, um, like like he is, and and so I appreciate that. And anyway, he's the guy though that always hit his target, right? Um, and it didn't matter what happened from the time it left his bow to the time it hit the target. Like it go all over the place, but eventually it's going to hit that target, right? He knew what his target was, and he aimed for it, and he got it there. Um, and and so um, just imagine with me though, kind of cocky, arrogant Robin Hood always hits his target, walking, if you've seen that movie, you know that's who he is, right? Uh, he's walking through the countryside one day, and he comes across a barn, all right? And there's, like, all these targets on the side, and an arrow dead center in every one of them. Like, he's going to want to know, the competitive, kind of cocky guy that he is, who's hitting that, I got to show him up, right? And so, it just boy, the boy's sitting there, uh, and he's like, okay, so who, who hit all these targets? And the boy just kind of sheepishly goes, I did. And Robin is like, okay, show me. So the boy picks up his bow, his arrow, pulls back, shoots it, hits the side of the barn, nowhere near any of the targets though. Then suddenly the boy runs up to the barn, grabs a pan of paint, rips it out, and paints his target on it, right? And Robin Hood's like, okay, uh, another day I'll find. How often is that us in life? We go through life kind of just like drifting, and yeah, maybe we go after something for a while, but when it doesn't go right, 
just kind of redefine what we're going after and, and make ourselves feel better so we can pat ourselves on the back that, oh, like I, I hit the target. And, and, and far too often, like Matt said, I work with churches all over the state, and, and far too often this is what the habit that churches get into, where they've got traditions and ministries and programs that they do where like it had a clear purpose at first, but then it just became kind of the, the monotonous rhythms that they go through. And, and as the results changed, and they said, well, that's not really what we're going after. Like, this is what we were going after, right? Like, it was kind of whatever they're getting out of it is suddenly the new target. And so, as a result, like, churches become ineffective. Churches become inward-focused. Churches become um, uh, not living for the purpose that God has given to us. If we don't know our target, Anything can be successful, but not anything is successful in the eyes of God. Not just anything. And so we've got to know, we've got to define our target, and we're going to talk about that today. But I also just want to give another angle on this idea of a target. And I was listening to Seth Godin. He's a uh, best-selling author, kind of marketing, communications guru kind of guy. So listen to a podcast by him, and he's talking about capitalism um, and, and how it works and uh, different things. But he's talking about the, the problem with um, in Capitalism at times can be, uh, and he's big, he loves capitalism, uh, it's not one of those things, but he's like, the, one of the problems in capitalism is when profit becomes the only measure of success. Because when profit becomes the only measure of success, when that becomes the only target, um, and that's it, just a really narrow target, then we know the kind of toll it can have on employees, where it's, uh, hey, like, work till, it gets it done, till you get it done. No vacation, no time off. Like people are just suddenly like it's all about that number. It's all about getting there. So it leaves people in its wake, and then then it's also like, well, we're not worried about like the kind of waste we're producing because hey, if we're getting profit up, that's all that matters. That's really like he calls that lazy capitalism because we don't have. They're not going after a whole target. Instead, they're going after just this narrow one-line target that's all about the bottom line. But there's a problem with that. When we lack a whole target, there's distortion and destruction that's left in the wake. Because there's so much more about being human than money, right? We know that. But in the church, there's oftentimes, you see, in churches that I, that I work with, like they define what success is by just more people in the building or more baptisms. And those are good things, like more, more people that are hearing the gospel, more, more people that are following Jesus in baptism, those are good things. But when it's all just about how do we get more and more and more, more buildings, more giving, more money, more all of this, the, kind of the bottom line profit of churches or something like that, and like, then you leave destruction and distortion in its wake, and that's not what God's all about. Yes, he's about reaching people with the good news of the gospel, and yet it, there's a much bigger target to go after that he's built us for as God's people, for us to live in for his glory as we'll talk about. It's just lazy church to only measure by one metric. And so we've got to define our target and we've got to make sure we define it in the holistic biblical way that God sets forth in his word. Not just in the way that our culture says, not just in the ways that we prefer for it to look, but rather how does God define and shape us? How has he made us to live as his people? And so we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, and we're going to look at God's target for us. We're going to consider who are we as the church in Christ? Who has God made us to be, and who is he making us to be? 
And so as you're turning to 1 Peter, just let me set some context as you get there. Peter begins this letter addressing it to the elect exiles. The elect exiles. He goes on later to call um, the church sojourners and strangers. He's hitting on this fact, like, hey, you're living in a culture and a world that is not your home, that is going to be against you, that, that, that the, the, the way of the world is to be different than the way of the church. And so you feel like exiles, you feel like refugees, you, feel like this, you should feel like this world is not your home, because it's not. Your home is in Christ. And so then in verses 3 through 12 of chapter 1, he goes on to, to unpack this incredible salvation and this blessed hope that we have of, of that future home because God has saved us, and he saved us as a community, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all work together from before time began in order to save us as a community into a community, the church. And so he unpacks this incredible salvation, and then later in that chapter, he then says, in light of that salvation, this is then how you're supposed to live, this distinct lifestyle. As God is holy, you be holy. And that just means like be set apart. You're to look different than the world around you because God is distinct. He is holy and he is perfect. And we're not just talking about a bunch of rules, but we're talking about the good, loving, gracious, just character of God. That's what we're supposed to look like. But how do we live that out? What is that, what is that rooted in? And that's where we come to chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, where Peter takes us and he highlights these identities that God has given to us when he made us new creations. When we come to faith in Christ, that we're, we're transformed and we're given new identities. Like who we are at our core is turned upside down. We were oriented all towards self, and now we're going to be oriented all towards God and for the good of others. And, and so as a result, we have these transformed identities, and that's our target that we're to be living towards. That's where we're going to find full and complete satisfaction. That's where we're going to find that abundant life that Jesus talks about. And so that's what we're going to unpack is, is these eight verses. And the rest of the book of 1 Peter, it addresses how that identity in Christ shapes the way we live in this world, a world of, of suffering and persecution and um, all kinds of different relationships and difficulties that we're going to face because this world is not our home. And so how do we live those identities out? Well, that's what comes in those following chapters. But we won't get to any of that today. Uh, we're just going to focus in on, on these few verses in chapter 2 and unpack this target. Because here's the big point. Thriving as God's people requires knowing and pursuing God's target for us. Thriving as God's people requires knowing and pursuing his target for us. Enjoying that fullness of our salvation, that abundant life that Jesus promises, and sharing that with others, it, it requires, it is absolutely vital and essential to embracing who Jesus has made us and is continuing to make us in him. So let's read God's word together and then let's unpack this. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. It'll be on the screen if you don't have the Bible in front of you. As you come to him, talking about Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, 
Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected, Jesus, has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Mercy of God in Christ. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just fill each of us with your Holy Spirit during this time, God, me to speak your word with power, and all of us that we might have ears to hear and eyes to see, so that we might, might be transformed by your word, God, that we would not have hard hearts that don't receive the truth that you are going to be, um, to be speaking to us through your word, God, but rather that we would receive it and look more like Jesus when we first walked in this place, that we as your people would look more like you intend us to look, that we would live out these identities that you've given, this target that you've given to us, that we would go after it with zeal and passion and intentionality for your glory, for our good, for the good of those who don't yet know Jesus, God. So I pray that you would move and work in this place. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Talk about the importance of the target. What is God's target for his church? Well, there's one purpose and three identities we're going to talk about here. One purpose, three identities. I get the right number. My, my son says, uh, how, when we ask my youngest, how old are you? He says, two. Um, so anyway, so sometimes I get confused. All right. So um, one purpose. All right. Let's look at, we're going to come to uh, verse four here in a few minutes, but let's just start with verse five. Um, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Spiritual house. Now that's language that, that Peter's using very specifically to refer to something that we might not think of um, because it's so far removed uh, for us in our context. But he's referring to the temple in the Old Testament there. When he's talking about spiritual house, and he's doing it in such a way, he's not using the language of temple right there because he's wanting to point to that it is, it is an organic people. It is a community. It is a household, right? But he is referring very intentionally back to the temple for this reason. Because the temple in the Old Testament was where God's presence dwelt with his people for his purpose in a special way. And that's really a running theme through all of Scripture from beginning to end. It starts... With creation in Genesis 1 to 3, we see that God places humanity as his image bearers with this mandate to go, be fruitful, and multiply. But it all starts in the Garden of Eden where God actually walked with Adam and Eve. Walked with them. And it was his presence with his people 
for his purpose, for his glory, as we'll talk about more in a moment. But, but it was his people, or his presence with his people for his purpose. And then that all broke down, right? When, when Adam and Eve chose to go their own way, to live by their own rules and not to submit to God as king, but to be kings of their own, kings and queens of their own lives, they chose to go their own way. God had to then kick them out of the garden. It was a gracious kicking out of the garden because if not, he had told them, you eat this tree, you will surely die. And yes, they died a spiritual death in that moment, but he did not want to have to kill them physically in that moment. So he kicked them out of his holy presence so that they would live and they would have a chance to turn back towards him. And so he kicked them out of his presence, but his whole plan then, from that point on, really before the foundation of the world, he knew this would be his plan because he knew what would happen. And yet, God, the rest of the plan in this storyline of Scripture is all about how does he get back with his people for his purpose. We see it teased out. So we continue forward a few chapters in the book of Genesis, and we hit the the Tower of Babel. You may have heard this story where where all the peoples of the earth get together, and they're building this tower up, and um, in the midst of that, like, they're trying to get to heaven. They're trying get into the presence of God once again, but they're doing it on their own terms. And they're doing it for their own purpose, for their glory. And so God confuses the language and sends them out because like, it's about, by, it's about his presence with his people, but for his purpose, which is not the glory of man. We weren't created for that. We were created for the glory of God. And so then he calls this guy named Abraham, and he says, look, I've chosen you, I want to create a people out of you to be my people, and I'm going to send you to a land where I'm going to dwell in a special way with you, and from that, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And so Abraham's call to go to a land and to have a people was all about God's presence being with his people for his purpose. And years later, when Abraham's descendants end up in Egypt, they get rescued by God out of Egypt so that we could see a physical picture of how he's going to rescue us spiritually from darkness. He rescues them physically from a land of darkness and slavery. And then he gives them this thing called the tabernacle. And this thing is like this tent that that moves around with the people of Israel while they're wandering in the desert before they get back to where the promised land is. And this, this tabernacle is where God's presence dwells with his people in a special way for his purpose. And then when they get to that promised land and they finally take it over, they build a temple, a physical place, permanent place, where God's presence was intended to dwell with his people for his purpose. And yet God's people continue to follow their own way time and again because on our own, we can't save ourselves. We will not be faithful. We will not go after that one purpose that God intends. And so they continue to screw it up just like we would have continued to screw it up if we were in their shoes. And so God himself sends his own son, Jesus Christ, to come down, to dwell with us, his presence, God's presence in Jesus, dwelling with us on the earth. In, in the Gospel of John, it actually says he, he dwelt among us, and the word there is actually tabernacled. Remember that from just that story with the people of God coming out of Egypt? So Jesus tabernacled with us. He dwelt with us. It was God's presence with his people, for his purpose, his glory and our good, our salvation, our rescue from sin and death. And so, so 
Jesus is that presence. And then Jesus dies on the cross. He lives that perfect life that you and I can't do. He, he, he shows us what that looks like. He lived that perfect holy life, and yet he died the death that you and I deserve. He, he, he shouldn't have been the one on that cross, but he was. Because he came to die so that he could give us forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. And so he died. He became our substitute in that moment. And then he rose again from the grave three days later so that he could prove that he has power to give life and to forgive sins. And that's the good news of the gospel. And then a part that we so often leave out is that 40 days later, Jesus ascends. And he says, this is actually for your good. Like, it's better that I would ascend and leave you so that I can send you someone else, and that's the Holy Spirit, to come and dwell inside of you. All right, and so he actually says this is better for us, which is hard to wrap our minds around, right? Because it's like, no, Jesus, I would love, like, Thomas to, like, hold your hands and, like, put my finger in the holes, right? Like, that would be great. But Jesus says, no, 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 this is better, because now every single one of us that have trusted in Jesus that for forgiveness of sins has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and we are that temple. We are that temple as individuals, and then in a very special way, we're that temple together as God's people as a whole. And so right now in this season, in this age, the church age between Jesus' ascension and him coming back, like we are the temple of God, his presence with his people for his purpose. This is why we're here. And it defines everything about who we are. One day he's going to come back. He's going to make it all new. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. Weeping and pain and mourning shall be gone forever. Praise God. Like No more cancer, no more depression, no more anxiety. All of that wiped away in an instant when Jesus comes back. And he will be with us. There won't need be a need for a sun or a moon because his presence will be so great and his light will shine so brightly that there will be no more darkness. And so his presence will be with his people for his purpose for all of eternity. No more sin and shame. No more evil one. So you see, the whole storyline of Scripture is moving. Like it starts there and it's moving there about God's presence. He wants to be with us as his people for his purposes, for our good and his glory. And that's what it comes down to. Like the, the defining thing for our target as God's people is this one purpose. Churches exist for one timeless purpose, and that's to glorify God. It's to reflect him. It's to reflect him. Like, we are created in his image. That's why we were told to go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, because we were to be little image bearers that would take God's character around the world, and, and, and we would be reflecting him to all of creation in a special way that nothing else can like the sun reflects the light of the moon or no it's the other way the moon reflects the light of the all right so the moon reflects the light of the sun right like that's what we're supposed to be like reflecting the light of God to those around us that's our one great purpose to make him famous to honor him as holy it's our great priority and the whole of scripture points to this not just in that temple theme but Jeremiah 13, 11 says that God called Israel for his glory. Psalm 106, 7 through 8 says that God saved Israel for his glory. Ezekiel 20, 14 says that God spared Israel when they were so stubborn and hard-headed in the wilderness. He did it for his glory. Jesus, 
In John 17, 1 through 5, he possessed God's glory, he enjoyed God's glory, he lived for God's glory, and he died for God's glory. Revelation 21, 22 to 23 shows us that all of history is moving towards God's glory. And Romans eleven thirty three to 36 says that God deserves every ounce of glory that we could possibly give him and so much more. The church, as God's people, we exist for God's glory, for that one timeless purpose. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 12, when it highlights this, this uh, spiritual house in verse 5, and then verses 9 through 12 highlight over and over again these identities that we have that are all about this one defining purpose because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So you may, be, you may glorify him, in other words. And, and at the end, in verse 12, it says, they may see your good deeds, and as a result, glorify God on the day of visitation. This one defining purpose has huge ramifications for the life of the church. This, it's, not, it's not like the first item on a, on a checklist, okay? But it's the def, defining of what the whole checklist is about. Like it's what the whole project that all the checklists are, are, are helping us get towards. It's what gives order to the whole of God's work as well as ours. It transforms the questions we ask and the answers we seek, what we celebrate as God's people, and how we live. And that's for our good. Like, I, I know that like, it, can, like, it can sound like, well, like, God just is all about himself. Like, I mean, if I was all about myself, then like, I mean, people would be like, hey, wake up. Like, this isn't all about you, right? It sounds selfish and, and egotistical, right? But, but here's the beauty. Like, the reason that if we're all about ourselves, that it's so problematic is because we're not able to satisfy anyone. But God is. And when we're all about God, like his grace and his goodness and his life that he offers can fill us, not just like one time over or a couple times over, but it can overflow and give us satisfaction and abundant life when we are finding our enjoyment and life in him in a way that nothing else can, no one else can. And so it's for our good, for God to say, come to me, look at me. He's, it's, it's for your good. It's a grace in your life for him to say, look at him. It's for our good. And so for him to be all about his glory, for us to be all about his glory, is for us to be all about where are we going to find satisfaction and life and peace and hope and goodness because he's the one. He's the source of it all. And so... The one defining purpose is the glory of God. But then when Jesus saves us, he gives us these identities that are defined by that one defining purpose, but, but, but make up the, the holistic aspect of this target that we're talking about, right? We have one purpose and three identities. So first off, we, we saw the spiritual house, which gives us an idea of what that core first identity is going to be all about. I'm actually just going to go ahead and throw up um, all three up here. So First off, we're worshipers. We're worshipers of God. We're family with one another as God's people. And then we're missionaries to the world. You can read my handwriting. God bless you. Um, but there you go. There's a drawing that goes with it. So maybe you can remember it. But 
Um, we're worshipers of God. That's our core identity, right? If our one defining purpose is the glory of God, then our core identity is as worshipers. We're a spiritual house. We're a temple. And the whole point of that is that we're is for worship, right? And so, um, but when we see that reiterated in verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Every one of those names, every one of those identity markers is summed up in that idea of we are worshipers. Yes, we're being built up like as a spiritual house, like it's a process in which we're becoming worshipers, more faithful worshipers, more devoted worshipers, more um, God-glorifying worshipers all the time, but here, here's the good news. like We already are these things. Verse 9, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. And so when Jesus saves us and makes us a new creation, like we immediately become these things. We become worshipers. We become family. We become missionaries. Yes, we're being built up and we pursue them more and more, but no, like, like you live from these identities, not just to them. You live from them, not just to them. And so as worshipers, like as God's people, as local churches, we are called to reflect his character. We're called to gather to worship him together else. We're not just talking about singing some songs on a Sunday morning. It's not the only way we worship God. We're not just talking about when we come here and we actually gather all together, like and we call this a worship gathering. Yes, we, we come to worship, but this is not the only context we worship in. What we're talking about is a love and a longing for God that's evident in both as we're here as God's people, but then in the 24-7 life that we live. Even, and I mean 24-7, like even while we're sleeping, when we lay our heads down, we rest, we acknowledge that like we need sustainment and God doesn't. And so it is an act of worship if we're intentional about it, to lay our head down at night. So 24-7, we're created to be worshipers that honor God as holy as our, our life and our hope and yet reflect his his glory to the world. And so reflecting his character like the, the moon reflects the light of the sun by living holy lives throughout the week, being living sacrifices as Paul talks about in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so we're worshipers. That's our core identity. But then we have relationships otherwise. We have them relationships with one another. In verse 10, it says, once you weren't a people. And once, like, before Christ, like, we'd hang out with people that we just had common interest in, right? Like, like I'm a huge Kentucky Wildcats fan, and I like, I mean, I enjoy, like, going and, and watching a game with anyone else as a Kentucky Wildcats fan. Like, we could have no other commonalities otherwise, but, like, I enjoy coming together and cheering on the Cats. I'm sorry, I know we're a Mizzou church um, here, but, um, yeah, we'll, uh, I'll talk in basketball season, you can talk in football season. All right, um, anyway, so we, we, we come together with people we have commonalities in, but, but otherwise, like, we don't. And here's the thing, when we come to faith in Christ, he brings the people, he brings people together that have nothing else in common. A beautiful, unified diversity that, can, that only he can bring together. Like, Mizzou fans, and I don't, I don't really know what Mizzou's rival is. Sorry. Uh, Kentucky, like, hates Louisville and Duke and North Carolina. We got a whole list. And so, um, like, I can be in the room with all of those fans, even during March Madness, because, like, Jesus brings us together. All right? Because basketball sure doesn't. Okay? So, like, church, 
Like we are, like Jesus breaks down every possible hostility and barrier that could come between us. That's what it means to be family, a unified, loving community. We weren't, once we're not a people, but now we are God's people. We're God's people. Elsewhere, we're called children of the Father. We're called brothers and sisters. Very literally, we are now family. Jesus says, like, even physical moms, dads, brothers, sisters, fathers, like, all of those are even secondary to this family that we have right here. And I know that sounds radical, but it is the reality that Jesus calls us to. This family is far greater than any physical family we could possibly be a part of. Local churches are created as family with one another. This unified community of believers that's called to sacrificially love and serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to forgive one another, encourage one another, even rebuke one another. And throughout the New Testament, 70 plus times, these, there are commands that end with one another. Like you just heard several of them right there in a row. And so we're like, it's more, like, living as family is more than a greeting time that happens. That greeting time is intended to picture the family life of the church. But it's so much more than a greeting time, or a social event, or in many of the churches I work with around the state, potlucks, because Southern Baptists love to eat together, all right? Um, and so, like, it's so much more than that. It's more than just a group Bible study that meets one time throughout the week. But we're talking about living life together according to those one another commands. That's what it means to be family. And that's a huge part of this target. And then lastly, the relationship we have with everyone else we come into contact with that doesn't yet know Jesus, we are missionaries. Every single one of us are missionaries. It's not just for pastors or some spiritually like elite level of Christian that, that's hit like a, a certain rung. No, we're all missionaries. Verse 11 and 12, but I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Like none of us, this is not our home. And so we live as a distinct people. Keep your conduct, verse 12, among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so we get a, we've got to live a life that both shows and tells the gospel. It's not good enough just to, to, to show our good deeds off, right? Verse, t verse 9 says, proclaim the excellencies of him. Proclaim the good news of the gospel. Proclaim how great and mighty and awesome Jesus is. And so it's got to be both show and tell as missionaries. And so we as God's people are created as missionaries to the world and every church is called to live as salt and light to make disciples faithfully and boldly in our local context, to partner in missions efforts to make disciples of all nations and multiply by sending people and starting churches. And so we're not just talking about giving to missions or, or like supporting and praying for our pastors while they work to, to make ministry or missions happen. But we're all called to this. We're talking about full active engagement in showing and telling the gospel and making disciples that make disciples that know, love, and obey Jesus. We're all called to that. And so that's the, that whole target that we're talking about. One purpose for the glory of God that results in our good lived out as worshipers, family, and missionaries 24-7. But how do we pursue that target? If thriving comes through knowing and pursuing that target, then how do we pursue it? Well, we, very simply, like it comes back to that, that vision and mission for, for Anthem Church. Know, love, and obey Jesus. And do it together. Know, love, and obey Jesus together. And so let's break that down just to highlight 
how do we actually go after this target? Because if we talk about the target and we just have some head knowledge about it then, and don't do anything with it, don't go after it intentionally, then, then we'll, never, we'll never get there. We'll be these things, but we'll be malnourished, and we won't be whole disciples that are glorifying God to the full capacity that he intends for us to. And so we've got to know, love, and obey Jesus together. Let's start, we'll, we'll hit the together piece here in a moment, but know, love, and obey Jesus. This is how, at its core, we pursue Jesus. So let's just highlight this. So this is, this is how transformation happens in the, in the life of the believer. All right, I can't count with my fingers. I can't spell today. So um, thank you for grace. All right, know, love, and obey. Um, this you think of this as the dimensions of growth. This is the dimensions of, of how we actually become and live out these identities. In verse 4, this is what it says. As you come to him. As you come to him. This idea of come, as you come, carries this idea of as you first come and as you continue to come to him. All right, And so it's, a, it's, it's both that initial coming to Jesus you're, you're then made into a spiritual house, but then it's as you continue to come to Jesus, you continue to grow as that spiritual house in him. And so it's, like, it's the starting point and as well as the, um, the path and the finish line. Think of it like this. It's like a racetrack, all right? Jesus is the starting line. He's the path, and he's the finish line. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning, the end, and everything in between. And so our growth is all in Christ and by Christ and through Christ. As we come to him for the first time, it starts with that repentance and belief in the good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose so that you and I could live forever with God. And we repent, we turn from going our own way, we trust in Jesus that what he did is enough and that only he can satisfy us. We trust in him. That's how we initially come to him. And if you haven't done that today, if you if you have been searching for all these other things to live for and they've continued to fail you, and they and if they haven't failed you, they will fail you. Career won't add up, being successful at school won't add up, having the right relationship won't add up, other than a relationship with Jesus. Every other cup you could possibly try to fill, that hole in your heart that you're trying to fill with so many things, like it is like until you have Jesus there, nothing can fill it. But Jesus not only fills it, but he overflows that cup. He overflows your heart. And so, please, if you have never, if you've never turned and trusted in Jesus and turned from trusting in other things, do so today. You can do it right here. You don't have to wait to the end of service. You don't have to wait to talk to a, a pastor or someone else. Like, you can just trust in Jesus right there in your seat because it's by grace that you're saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast that only God gets the credit. And so do it right now. Trust in him. Start this race going after these things. Enjoy the fullness of both life everlasting and life abundant that can start right now. I'm not saying there won't be ups and downs. There will. We live in a world that's not our home. And we're not made perfect, like we're made perfect in Jesus, but we're still becoming perfect. And so there's going to be ups and downs. But let me tell you, it doesn't get any better than following Jesus. So start that journey with him today. But if you've already started that journey, you've got to continue to come to him over and over again. And it's by knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus, right? It's got to be this, this whole dimension of, of who we are, right? Head, heart, and hands. Like we're whole people with 
whole target that we're to go after, and, and it comes through holistically addressing things, right? I'm going to steal a, an illustration that Matt uh, used, I think, sometime last year, and so I'm giving him credit. All right, so here's the deal. Um, it, like, like, you walk into um, a Planet Fitness or something like that, right? Like, you know, like five, ten bucks a month, get into the gym. Like, you're going to find some guys there that, like, they are, like, just built out, right? They're the complete opposite of this guy on stage, and, um, and so they, like, have like muscles that like there's just not a shirt big enough, right? Um, but the, but what you'll find funny sometimes is that unfortunately they have skipped leg day over and over and over again, and they have little legs just like me. All right, and so it's like this big like triangle thing like going on. All right, and um, and that's like how often do we do that as Christians? We focus on one aspect of of growth in Jesus. And it becomes a detriment and looks distorted. Like, think about those that have lots of head knowledge, but man, you can just tell there's no love there. That is a dead orthodoxy. Knowledge puffs up. It makes us arrogant. makes us unloving if it's not also being built out with these things. And how often do we know many of you went to churches growing up where it was all about rules, 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 rules. God's rules are good. And yet, when it becomes that's the way to follow Jesus, it's just rules, rules, rules. It's a cold, cold religion. But even love, if it doesn't have truth, like it's empty love. And what is it that you're really loving? And so it's got to be all three, like right here in the center. Like this is where transformation happens for us. This is where real growth happens is when we're addressing all three of these all right, that's why these are the, the, the three dimensions of, of what it means to grow in Christ, to become healthy worshipers, family, and missionaries. We've got to pursue all three of these, and we do it, though, not just on our own. We do it together. All of these identities are given to a people, not just individuals. And in our society, in our culture, we live in a really individualistic society. And, and so we tend to try to go after these things on our own, but that'll be to our detriment every time. And so we've got to know, love, and obey together. This whole series, it's about the church, right? It's not just about us as individual Christians growing as disciples, but disciples are a part of a community. You're not, a, like, like you're not just saved as one disciple to live on your own. You're saved into a community. And so we've got to know, love, and obey Jesus together. And that's where this little ball comes in. Um, so um, when I think about the church, when, when we look at God's word, we see the church living in, in rhythms, all right? Like oftentimes when we think of church, we think of a building or a place we go to on Sunday morning, but that's wrong. We're a community that lives together in rhythms. Yes, we gather, all right? We gather, we come together and we have this special time where we worship, but then we scatter throughout the week. But what you notice about this, what I love about this little ball um, is, is that it highlights the fact that as God's people, we may gather and we scatter, but we're always staying connected. We're always staying connected. And so this is like the heartbeat of the church, this rhythm of gathering and scattering. This is the context in which we, we grow in knowledge and love and obedience into worshipers, family, and missionaries. We, we gather and we scatter. We gather to remember and realign with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a particular way, taking the Lord's Supper, hearing the word proclaimed, singing songs in a corporate fashion. But then we scatter and we don't disconnect. Man, and the beauty of technology is that it's easier than ever for us right? But we don't disconnect. We got to stay connected. So we gather to remember and realign with the gospel, but we scatter 
to grow as worshipers, family, and missionaries, right? Because this is like one hour a week. Or when Brandon's up here and preaches a little long, it's an hour and 15 minutes a week, right? Like, so, so as we scatter, like, that's where the growth happens. That's where the application happens. That's where you begin to live these things out, and you, you grow in knowledge, love, and obedience. You, the rubber hits the road. And so that's why, like, this gathering is vital to what we do here at Anthem, but connection groups are also absolutely essential both on the salt side and the community side. Like, like, it's integral. It is the discipleship engine that keeps things running here. And when we talk about making disciples that make disciples, like, that happens. If you're just doing this gathering, you are not going to experience that growth. Maybe, maybe little bits here and there. But the reality is, is transformation happens in the life of community, and that's connection groups. We talk about it this way in my connection group. We connect to grow as worshipers, family missionaries. I mean, we say that over and over every week because we want to remind ourselves why we're there. And, and look, connection groups can't just be another one or two hour gathering in the week. That has to be the people that you're going deep with, that you're holding one another accountable, that, that you're, you're living out worshiping with. Yes, you dive into God's word together to know him more, but you're also sharing highs and lows. You're encouraging one another throughout the week. You're praying for one another. You're, you're applying God's word together. You're having hard conversations and, and rebuking one another when needed, but holding one another accountable so that you're walking in holiness as worshipers, reflecting God's glory to the world. And you're living out being a family member by knowing and being known. You're serving and caring and praying for one another. It happens with those in connection groups, particularly as we get to be a larger and larger church. And pray that God does that because that means we're reaching people with the good news of the gospel, right? And it's not the sole target, but that's something we hope for and pray for. But as we do that, like connection groups become even more and more vital. And you've got to go deep with a particular group of people because you can't live out those one another's with everyone sitting in this room. You just can't. Even social science backs that up. Like, you, there's only like a certain number of people that you can really know. And so God intends. Like Jesus made disciples of the crowds, but then he had his 12 plus the women, and then he had like his three. And so Jesus even, like you see him drilling deep with a closer and closer tight-knit group. And we've got to do that too. And we've got to be missionaries together. Like it's not just growing in knowledge of God and one another when we connect, but rather we're to join lock arms in a mission praying for specific people, creating space where, where unbelievers can come and belong before they believe, where they can see the love of God live community, experience and taste, taste and see Jesus before then they trust in Jesus. We serve and share our community. We get strategic together about how are we going to reach the neighbors around our host group or, um, or neighborhoods of, of other people living in our group. We live all of these identities out together. We know, love, and obey Jesus together so that we might be healthy worshipers, family, and missionaries for the glory of God and the good of others. Wrap up with um, showing a bit of my nerd side for a moment. I love board games, um, and, uh, and so I'm also a little competitive, okay? So uh, that can be an interesting combination when you get into um, board games. Um, and, and so I just really want to, like, like when I... Um, I get introduced to a new game, and someone starts to like, like walk through all the rules. I typically have to stop someone and say, "Wait, like, what's the point? Like, like, how do I win? Like, that's all. I, like, just tell me how I win. 
All right, like victory points, or is it like my wife's favorite game, like it's about like the amount of applause you get? Um, party games are really weird to me because it doesn't seem like there's a point. Uh, like winning is fun. Anyway, um, that shows, anyway, uh, it's probably a little unhealthy. I get it. Um, but um, so I'm aware of it, though, okay? Um, so in board games, though, I want to know the point because when you know the point, like what you're going after, then the rules, the instructions, the components, all of those pieces make much more sense as you begin to break them down, right? And so now, now that we know the point, then all the components of the life of Anthem Church maybe, maybe hopefully begin to make a bit more sense why they're absolutely vital. But knowing all that, it's absolutely pointless if you don't get in the game, if you don't actually play the game, and it's like, oh, that's a pretty looking game, like that's some cool artwork, and that's some cool pieces, and that was a fun rule, but no one says that. Like that's not, like, so like you like you've got to get in and play the game. And if you, as you play the game, you leave certain components out that are key to winning, you're undermining yourself. And so it's similar to life as God's people. We've got to both know the target, go after it, and do it together as a whole. Like not, like, not just doing like this one hour or so gathering on a Sunday but rather taking in all that God has given to us as his means of grace in our lives to grow as worshipers, family, and missionaries. So here's two things to consider today doing. One, I just challenge you, reflect on these things. Like, how do you need to grow? Like, is it as worshiper, family, or missionary? Like, what's your strength? And praise God for that, his grace in your life. But then where, what area do you need, like, to walk with people to help you grow as a worshiper, family, or missionary? And then, like, maybe it's no love or obey. Like, just consider this framework and consider, like, how is God calling you to be more intentional to go after his target for his glory? And then I encourage you, if you're not connected to a connection group, then find one this week. There'll be someone wait, uh, sitting over there by the Welcome Center afterwards. Find a connection group this week. Invest more deeply, because this is the discipleship engine of, the, of, of Anthem. And so let's lean in, church, into who we're called to be and how we're to live that out here at Anthem. Let's run after that target together. As the author of Hebrews said, let this be our final word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us, or for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, you are great and glorious, and you give us a purpose that is worth living for. You give us a life that is completely satisfying. You have rescued us and saved us, not to do this life on our own, but into a community, God. And I pray that we would enjoy that community, that we would live in this community for your glory, and that we would pursue this target together. God, transform us into healthy worshipers, family, and missionaries that glorify you and invite people in to this incredible life that you have in Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.